Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. The Branch Davidians, the Ant Hill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. This episode includes depictions of graphic violence, harm against minors, and discussions of racism. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story of the Bunyip. Today's episode combines features from a number of Aboriginal and colonial Australian legends for dramatic effect. Hello, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week we present a new mystery, a new monster, and a new meaning within humanity's oldest stories. The world is wide and every culture is unique, but fear, fear is forever. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we're beginning our month-long journey through the weirdest, wildest parts of Australia. We start with what might be the continent's flagship monster, the Bunyip. This mysterious and murderous creature can be found in waterways all over New South Wales. But it's best not to go looking, for when the Bunyip drags you under, you never surface again. Coming up, a pair of children venture into the shallows. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Aboriginal Australians have lived on the continent for over 50,000 years, but the colonizing presence is more recent than you may expect. The first British penal colony on the continent, Botany Bay, was founded in 1788, over a decade after the American Revolution. Australia was a wilder place than any of the British colonists were used to. They were astounded by the strange marsupials and enormous reptiles that filled the swamps. And yet, the indigenous Australians warned them that something even worse was lurking beneath the water, a semi-aquatic man-eater known as the bunyip. No one seemed to agree on what the bunyip looked like. Some compared it to a dog, a seal, a snake, or even a bird. Reports of its size also varied, from the proportions of a small cow to a hulking creature over 10 feet long. It waited, submerged in the rivers, lagoons, and billabongs, howling at night and carrying off women and children. The colonists were skeptical at first, but soon bunyip sightings began to appear in newspapers. A supposed bunyip skull was briefly displayed in a Sydney museum in the 1840s. The skull actually belonged to a deformed horse, but don't let one huckster make you complacent. There's more than crocodiles in these waters. Gambu sighed as he peered over the railing. It's a horse. His friend Peter leaned further over the bar, nearly far enough to fall into the display. The surrounding patrons looked less than thrilled with his behavior. It seemed 11 was the age when such antics stopped being cute. The museum guard beside the exhibit glared at both boys, robust facial hair vibrating with rage. Peter didn't care. Instead, he turned to his friend, It's not a horse, it's a bunyip. Gambu groaned. This was one of the many reasons he didn't like when Peter dragged him to museums. If Peter read it on a placard, he believed it. He never noticed the strange way the Victorians looked at Gambu either. Like Gambu and his dark skin were the display, rather than whatever was in front of him. But Peter didn't have to notice, being white. He just stared at the exhibit in awe, ignoring Gambu's groan. They really found a bunyip! It's a scientific miracle! Gambu admitted it was a strange skull. The jaw extended far beyond the roof of the open mouth, exposing gnarled molars. The eye sockets were partially fused together. If this animal had been born, it would not have lived long. Gambu winced at the thought. It's a horse with a too long jaw. It would have hurt. Poor horse. Peter crossed his arms petulantly. You said they're real. Why are you ruining this for me? Gambu hated when Peter got like this. If he'd revealed his gullibility earlier, they might not have been friends at all. 
Gombu had plenty of friends who looked like him, but Peter had come to the borders of Sydney to learn Gombu's language. That meant a lot to him, so he did his best to reconcile. They are real. That just isn't a bunyip. My father saw one, and it doesn't look like that. Peter hopped off the railing and stuffed his hands in his pockets as they walked back through the museum galleries. Gambu was always uncomfortable seeing the possessions of his people hung on walls as if they didn't belong to anyone. He was glad they were moving towards the exit. They stepped out onto the dusty streets of Sydney and headed for the edge of town, where Gambu's parents were allowed to camp. Their conversation quickly moved on from museum artifacts to other spooky stories. Gambu was asking Peter if he knew about the cannibals in the place he would know as Lake Disappointment when a shadow fell over them. Both kids looked up to see a tall white man in a short-sleeved button-down and short linen trousers. He had a wide-brimmed hat on his head and a rifle slung over his shoulder. Gambu knew better than to trust strange white men, especially when they walked around with guns on their backs. Peter was not as wise. He piped up immediately. Are you an adventurer? The man nodded. That I am, young sirs. I couldn't help but overhear your conversation in the museum there. The man's pale eyes glittered. Where did your father see a bunyip? Gambu didn't like this one bit. He knew what happened when so-called adventurers took an interest in the activities of children like him. They never saw their parents again. He said carefully, Out past the billabong, sir. But Peter's mother will be very cross if he misses dinner. Gambu grabbed Peter's hand and tried to pull him away. The man was quicker than Gambu expected. He stuck out his hand and held the boy's shoulder tight. Could you show me where? I'll make it worth your while. He held up two gold sovereigns. The colonizer queen stared vacantly in profile on each. Peter's eyes lit up. That was two whole pounds. Come on, Gambu, you can show him. We'll have an adventure. Gambu wanted to point out that going past the billabong would be an adventure for Peter and Peter only, but his friend was impossible to stop once he got going. He squinted at the man. And you'll take us back as soon as we show you the place. The man agreed, beginning to pocket the money. Gambu said, Very well, but give us half the money now. The man smiled. He complimented Gambu on his negotiating skills and pressed one heavy coin into Peter's hand. Then he led them to the other side of town, towards the river. His skiff was small, driven by pole rather than oars or paddles. They floated through the swamp, pausing every now and then so Gambu could tell them where to go. Peter pointed excitedly at crocodiles drifting by. The man responded by telling tales of catching and skinning them. They slowed to a stop. Gambu pointed into the marsh. They were here. His father had told him he would know the spot by the Y-shaped tree adorned with flowers, and there the tree was. He said, The bunyip was sunning itself over there. Now take us back. The man opened up his pack, voice cool and calm. Oh, I don't think so, boys. We're in this together now. He kept his eyes on Gambu as he began to load his hunting rifle. 
Your people are hunters. We get that bunyip. We'll be richer than that con man with the horse skull. Gombu shook his head, backing towards Peter. Please, sir, you promised. I've never hunted. The man smirked. I'm sure you'll be a fast learner. He leveled the gun at Peter. Gombu's hands balled into fists. He didn't know what to do. There was nowhere to go. They were stuck between hungry crocodiles and a madman. The man slid his finger along the trigger. I won't tell you again. Help me. The words were swallowed up by a rush of water. The skiff bucked violently as if something heavy had landed on the stranger's end of the boat. Gombu grabbed Peter and hung on as the man fell backwards towards the water. The clamor was over as soon as it had begun. All that remained of the stranger was a bloody hat floating lazily on the surface. A dark shape stirred in the water. Neither of the kids wanted to risk leaning over to see any more detail. Peter clutched at his friend's hand. Gambu, I'm frightened. Gambu was terrified, but agreeing with Peter would only make it worse. It's all right, Peter. We have the boat. We'll just go home, slow and steady. It won't even know we're here. He reached for the steering pole and heard a trickle of water, slow at first, but growing. The boat was sinking. Soon, there would be nothing between them and the bunyip. Coming up, Gombu and Peter come face to face with a monster. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. On behalf of ParCast, I'd like to thank you for your continued support. Your loyalty has allowed us to keep expanding even beyond podcasts. That's why I'm so thrilled to share some special news with you all, something we've never done before and made possible only because of you. On July 12th, we're releasing our first book titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. And you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. Those of you who've been with ParCast since the beginning know that it's a labor of love for us to bring you these powerful stories. As long as you keep listening, we keep creating. So with the benefit of years of research and insights, we've put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. You won't want to miss this book. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. That's parcast.com slash cults. Thank you again for listening. We can't wait for you to dive in. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the story. Peter's breath came short and slow against Gombu's chest. The two boys laid in the slowly sinking boat, trying to understand what they'd just seen. Peter sniffled as he spoke. The man is just... It, it ate him. 
The bunyip ate him. Gombu nodded slowly. Peter coughed. Did you see it? Like a dog, kind of, or a dragon. Maybe that was just the teeth. Gombu scanned their surroundings. There was no dry land in sight. Dead logs floated on the surface, stagnant. There was no current. If they tried to swim for it, the bunyip would feel every ripple. They needed to get as far away from the water as possible. But how? The gum trees reached up through the swamp like a maze of gray posts, all too skinny to climb except for one, the Y-shaped tree his father had described. It was 25 feet away, maybe 30. He whispered to Peter, We can't stay here. We have to swim to the tree. Not even swim. Walk very slowly. No splashes. No panic. If you follow the reeds, the water won't even come up to your stomach. Take off your shoes. Come on. Peter stared at him. But there are crocodiles everywhere, and that thing. The boat lurched beneath them. Peter did not protest again. Gambu took off his boots and tied them together with their laces. He hung them around his neck and helped Peter do the same. Then he reached his toes over the edge of the sinking skiff and let his body slowly drop, praying for solid ground. He couldn't find it. He dropped lower, letting go of the boat. The water rose to his chest as he finally found purchase on the swamp floor. He'd promised Peter a shallower walk, but there was nothing for it now. Gambu held his friend's hand as he led the way, making sure Peter could follow his footsteps. After only a few careful steps, one of the nearby logs sank below the water and disappeared. Gambu's breath caught in his chest. Behind him, Peter asked what was wrong. He kept his voice level. Nothing. He held his breath, waiting for the crocodile to surface, but nothing came. His father had told him they could stay beneath the water for a whole hour. There was no use in waiting. He took another step forward. Water shot into the air maybe 10 feet away between them and the tree. Peter whispered Gambu's name. Gambu put his finger to his lips. Another splash. They heard clacking, growling, and then a strange, bullish roar. A flailing crocodile broke the surface. It curled in on itself, hissing and screaming as it wriggled in a set of smooth, furry jaws. The bunyip shook the beast back and forth. Go around, Gambu whispered. Go around. He tugged Peter to him, practically lifting him up as they waded around the fighting animals. Gambu tried not to look too long at the churning, reddening water. He pushed as hard as he could, hoping to make it while the bunyip was distracted. Then the fighting stopped. The boys did, too. The monsters had gone beneath the surface. Bits of gleaming white crocodile flesh and shredded scales floated on the still water. The tree was so close now, just a few more feet. They moved step by careful step, lifting each foot silently. Finally, Gambu reached out and touched the tree. He helped Peter up into the branches first. His friend wasn't nearly as good at climbing as Gambu was, but he managed. Peter found a secure spot between the boughs. He held out his hand to Gambu. Gambu took it. 
Then something white appeared in the corner of his eye. It was the severed lower jaw of the crocodile. A leg floated up next, much closer to Gombu this time. The bunyip was coming his way. Peter whispered, Come on, Gombu, you can do it, come on! Gombu placed his foot on the wet tree, trying to find a foothold without disturbing the water in any way. With Peter's help, Gombu lifted himself away from the swamp, but the tree was wet and his boots were an unfamiliar weight on his neck. Peter's hand slipped from his grasp. He began to fall, but Peter wouldn't let him. He sprang forward, catching Gombu by the wrist. Gombu hung suspended just above the water, saved without even a sign of a ripple. The boys smiled at each other. Peter readjusted his grip to help him up. Gombu turned to brace himself against the tree. He didn't realize until it was too late. His carefully tied shoes had been jostled by his fall. The laces slid along his shoulders. They slipped off his neck and fell right into the water. Gombu gave up all hope of stealth. He gripped Peter's hand as hard as he could and pulled, running up the tree as fast as he could. He felt the creature before he saw it, a rush of wind and mist at his back. Gombu threw himself onto the branch, feet dangling. He felt slick, wet fangs slide along his toes, and he pulled his legs in immediately. Gombu turned to see the bunyip sinking back beneath the water. Feline eyes watched him from below. He looked back to his friend. Peter's eyes pleaded with him silently, what do we do? Gombu didn't know. What he'd told the stranger was true. He'd never hunted, only stood by while his father tracked prey. And he'd certainly never tracked something through the water. Still, he tried to put on a show of confidence. The tree's solid. It'll lose interest. All predators do. My father spearfishes around here sometimes. He'll be by. Peter drew his knees up to his chest, making himself as small as possible. How long will that be? Gombu couldn't meet Peter's eyes. Not long. And this will be a great story, all right? A great adventure. A soft silence fell between them two boys sitting in a tree in the middle of the wilderness. Peter spoke first. I'm sorry, this is my fault. Gombu was still watching the water. It is, but if I had to be with anyone at a time like this, it would be you. Peter let out a hushed laugh. <laughs> really? Gombu shrugged. My father would have never let this happen. Leave it to a colonist. Peter laughed but the sound died in his throat a moment later. He pointed a shaking finger at the water beneath Gombu's side of the tree. Gombu turned to follow his gaze. The swamp was swelling beneath them. The bunyip was circling, waiting for them to fall. In the distance, thunder rolled. The skies opened up and rain began to pour. Coming up, the boys choose between being drowned and being devoured. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now back to the story. Gambu wasn't sure how long they'd been in the tree. The thunderstorm had lasted for hours at least and showed no signs of abating as day became night. The boys shivered in their wet clothes, huddled close together. Every now and then, they peered into the darkness below them. The bunyip didn't even bother to hide beneath the water now. It skimmed along the surface, circling like a tiger in a cage. Thunder rumbled almost directly overhead. Gambu took a deep breath. The air felt like metal on his tongue. Lightning flashed, striking a dead tree 20 feet from them. Fire lit up the night. Sharp shards tumbled into the water. Peter looked at Gambu. Where do we go? Gambu tried to put on a brave face. The bunyip isn't leaving, so we don't need to either. But he wasn't sure. The thunder was getting closer. The storm wasn't moving. More lightning was sure to follow. Gambu studied the swamp, looking for anything that could help them. There were no rocks to throw at the bunyip, no leaning trees to push over. The pouring rain could hide their movements if they tried to swim, but they would always be slower than the bunyip. He missed his father so much, he would have given anything to have decided to go fishing with him today rather than go to that horrible museum. Then he saw it. A charred branch floating in the current, its end was naturally sharpened to a point. There was only one way to defeat the bunyip. He needed to act like his father. Lightning crackled again. Gambu studied the water, looking for the deepest point he could find. Peter's voice came from behind him. Gambu, what are you doing? Gambu edged out onto the branch. I'm going to go spearfishing. With that, Gambu dove into the water, praying it was deep enough to catch him. The water was deep enough, but only barely. Gambu felt his feet tap the bottom as he landed. He didn't have time to reflect on his good fortune. He sprang to the surface and began to swim. Peter was shouting at him, but he couldn't hear the words. All he felt was the shifting of the waves hitting his back. The bunyip was coming. He glanced behind him, but no, the bunyip didn't seem to have noticed his jump. Its head was still trained on Peter's perch. He almost breathed a sigh of relief. Before he noticed that it had moved farther away from the tree, far enough away to avoid the charge that would move through the water if the tree was struck by lightning. 
Gambu's father had always told him to observe the beasts of the wild, for they see the natural flow of the world more easily than humans do. If the bunyip was avoiding the tree, it was doing it for a reason. Gambu shouted at Peter, Jump! You have to jump! He could see his best friend staring at him in disbelief. Gambu called one more time as the metal danced on his tongue again. Trust me! Peter leapt. He struck the water and began to swim away from the bunyip. The creature lifted its massive head. The muzzle and eyes were canine, but there was something reptilian about it too. The way it smelled them, studied them, not deciding which it could kill, but which it would kill first. Lightning struck the tree, wood splintered and the water below it sizzled. But Gambu could see Peter still swimming away past the burning tree. He'd survived. Well, he'd survived that. Gambu turned back and swam for the sharpened wood as fast as he could, yelling to get the bunyip's attention. But the bunyip had already begun to slide away from him towards Peter. Gambu's heart thundered in his chest. He couldn't make himself an easier target than his friend, but he could make himself a more tantalizing one. For what did every predator hate more than all else? Competition. Gambu roared as loud as he could. The bunyip paused. It turned its head, locked eyes with him. Then it came towards him incredibly fast. The bunyip somehow both loped and slithered at the same time. Its body curved in ways its spine shouldn't have allowed. Its muscular legs broke the water only to plunge in again. Gambu yelped and swam for the branch again. The water rose behind him, a wave created by the monster. Gambu let the motion take him, reaching for the sharpened stick. His hand closed on it. He felt the bunyip's nose against his neck, but he didn't flee. He turned to face the monster's open jaws. Chunks of crocodile flesh and human viscera were stuck between its teeth. Gambu took a deep breath and drove the makeshift spear into the bunyip's mouth. The bunyip shuddered. It tried to twist away. Gambu held on, planting his feet in the mud. Bellows became screeches. Screeches became whimpers. Finally, the bunyip went limp. Gambu breathed heavily, not letting go of the branch. The rain slowed. He barely noticed Peter swim up to him, but he heard his friend's whoop of joy. You did it! Ha <laughs> ha! You did it! Gambu looked at Peter, arms trembling from the effort of holding up the impaled beast. So tell me, Peter, is it a scientific miracle? Peter laughed and helped Gambu drag the creature's body over to the tree. There, they sat and stared out over the swamp. In the distance, a man was waving from a small boat, his brown hand silhouetted by the rising sun. Gambu's father coming to take them home.
As the joke goes, everything in Australia is looking to kill you. There are poisonous insects in the forest, sharks in the ocean, and crocodiles in the rivers. It's easy to imagine something even scarier lurking in the most remote parts of the massive continent. This helps the legend of the bunyip feel credible, even if all the physical proof has turned out to be fake. At least, the physical proof paraded through Victorian museums. We do have significant fossil evidence of massive marsupials and other megafauna that lived in Australia at the height of the Pleistocene epoch. It's possible that the shared cultural memory of these beasts is a source for tales of the bunyip. Some folklorists have also suggested that the bunyip resembles the leopard seal, a potentially aggressive aquatic predator. Still others compare it to Australia's gigantic saltwater crocodiles, which can grow up to 17 feet long. Crocodiles are often solitary creatures, but there's no shortage of stories about human-crocodile clashes. Like in 2003, when a 22-year-old was killed by a crocodile in Australia's Finnis River, the animal then went after his two friends who took refuge in a tree at the center of the river. The crocodile circled below them for almost 24 hours before a helicopter was able to lift them out. The crocodile's method of hunting sounds an awful lot like the bunyips. It lies in wait, rushing out of the shallows to grab its prey before rolling back beneath the water with its spoils. It's possible that the bunyip is a conflation of this modern threat with a more prehistoric past. Call it a fake as much as you like, the bunyip doesn't care. Its bull-like bellow has been reported across Australia, with documented reports as late as the 1960s. So make sure to stay away from the rivers after dark. You may never know if that dark shape in the water is a man-eating crocodile or something far worse. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another monster from Aboriginal folklore. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Rache, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, listeners, it's Vanessa. Exciting news, ParCast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, is now available for pre-order at parcast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before details which haven't even been explored in our cults podcast visit parcast.com cults to pre-order your copy of cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who joined them